That was a good game. We're not going to cause any problems in here and say, I just wanted to. Chris is our resident. He's a soccer coach, so I trust him in all things related to soccer. And so if he says it's good, then tune in. What's the game you want to see? Yeah, like who do you want to see in the World Cup? The U.S. versus who? <laughs> <laughs> Anybody. I'll be happy if they make it all the way. Who, the U.S.? Yeah, yeah. I think everybody would be happy yeah. if they, they would. U.S. men's hasn't made it all the way. And the women have held it down, though. You ever say women's have held it down? Look, see, there y'all go. Start in trouble, see? We are supposed to be unified. Somebody's back there already singing, anything you can do, I can do, we can do better. Uh -oh, uh -oh. See, that's the problem now. That's the problem now. No apologies necessary. All is forgiven here. If we can forgive that, that Dallas jersey that Hassan has on, we can forgive. Hey, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Man, it's a lot of water up here, man. What y'all got? Somebody, somebody trying to tell me something? Like, I drink a lot of water, man. I'm, you know, a lot of this is water weight, to be honest. So... I don't know what y'all laughing at. All right, let's, let's jump in to, we're going to continue in our series. But I want, to, I, want to, I want to say one thing. I think it's important to reiterate what we're doing in this series because I get questions and I want to make sure you understand that there are, when you're reading the Bible, there are varying levels of what we call context, all right? Normally when people say, you got to look at this stuff in context. This is what, this is sort of the first layer of context. Here's the first layer. It's, okay, here's a passage of scripture. And then most people think context means what are some of the verses before it and the verses after it. All right? That's how you understand. You don't just want to take a verse and just, you want to know what is it saying before or after. That's a layer of context. And in general, that's sort of a base foundation for how you understand what is the Bible trying to say, right? You, you want to make sure, is this just like Proverbs? Some Proverbs are just verse for verse. But then there's a, a paragraph with the same theme. So you want to look and say, okay, that's one layer of context. Then if you go a little bit bigger, then you might say, okay, what is the whole chapter talking about? What's the chapter of the Bible talking about? or the chapter before it and the chapter after it. And that's another way you understand context and what the Bible is trying to communicate. You don't want to just take a verse and be like, that's what this means. They're saying it in a flow of thought. So you're trying to understand what is the flow of thought. So you start looking, okay, what did the chapter say before it or the chapter after it? And then maybe you go a little bit bigger and say, okay, what is the whole letter about? You want to understand what was happening in the time when the letter was written, and that's another way you understand it. Then you might stretch it out to be like, how does this fit in the whole Bible? These are the varying levels of context and how we understand what the Bible is saying. It's not just the four verses before and after whatever passage you're reading. It's, it's bigger than that. Well, the context that we're speaking from, that we're talking to, what I'm teaching from, is worldview context. So how did the, the people whom the Bible was written to and the people whom wrote the Bible, what was their worldview at the time? What was their understanding of life, God, faith, obedience? Not just what verses came before and after, but how did they see the world? The, the Jews in the Bible, the ancient Near East, saw the world completely different than we do. We see the world more through a scientific lens. They saw the world through more of a supernatural lens. They didn't have the questions that we have. So this series that we're doing is essentially trying to answer this question. How much of what the biblical writers believed about the supernatural are you willing to believe? That's the question. How much of what they believed about God and gods and demons and the creation of the world, how much of the supernatural that they believed are you willing to believe? That's the real question. And so we're trying to explain these things based on as best as we can tell how they may have understood 
what Scripture was saying when it was written to them. God did not write to people expecting them to not get it, and then people 4,000 years later to be like, ah, that's what he meant. No, they understood what he meant when he said it, and we're trying to understand what did they understand. So that's what this, this series is. So essentially what we're doing is we're looking at in this series the origin of what we call spiritual warfare. Many of us know spiritual warfare. We go to Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God, and we go there, and then that's... But what's the origin of that? Why do you have to put on the full armor of God? Why is there a devil that you have to resist? Why are there demons, and why are, why are there angels, and what's happening? What's the origin of these two words that we know as spiritual warfare? That's what this series is seeking to uncover. And we're trying to figure out what did spiritual warfare mean to the people that the Bible was written to. That's what this series is. This series is not about do you agree necessarily. It's about this is what we think they thought, mm -hmm. and then how do we process what they thought. There's always something for us, but the Bible wasn't written to us. But we often read the Bible very meologically. How, how, what do I comfortable with? What do I think about this? Well, on one level, who cares what you think? On one level, because that's not what it's about. It's about what did they think and how does that affect me? It's not what do I think and apply it to the Bible. It's what do they think and how does that apply to me? This is what we're doing in this series. Two weeks ago, I did a sermon on Let There Be Light, and I said I had four points, but I was only able to get to three. Here were those three points about Genesis 1, 1 through 5, and God saying, let there be light. The first point was this, is that what God is communicating is that darkness, which is something that the Jews would have, would have thought was this powerful entity in which other civilizations, the gods of Egypt and the gods of Babylon and the gods of Assyria, they all sort of have this weird sort of cosmic power over the sea and darkness, and they would have been afraid, and God is showing, no, the darkness submits to the light. The darkness submits to the light. So whatever those gods are claiming, they're under me. So if you watch sports, was watching a game Thursday, the Cowboys game, I know. <laughs> I was watching it with Josh, and this player, C.D. Lamb, whose jersey he's wearing, had a crazy one-arm catch. It was a crazy catch, touchdown. And when he stood up, he went like this. And you see these players do this all the time. They just be like this. And it's basically saying to the defender, you're too small. You're too little. You can't guard me. Genesis 1 is God saying to the other gods, you're too small. Too small. small, one arm, with ease, come down, touchdown. This is what God's communicating. Darkness submits to light. The second point of the message two weeks ago was the God of light versus the God of sunlight. Because Genesis 1, 3 says, let there be light, but then God creates the sunlight on day four. So on day one, there's a light that's not the sun that lights up everything for three days. And then on day four, God creates the sun and the moon. Now, most of the other religions, the Egyptian, Assyrian, the Greek, all these, they're, they're, they're light, their gods start with God of the sun or God of the moon. And God is saying, no, no, no. I created light. I established light on day one. Then I created light on day four. So if those gods are claiming to be the God of the sun, those are day four gods. You serve a day one God. Amen. This is what God is saying. And then the last point was light in Genesis 1 is not a scientific reality. You know, we look at the Bible and we think order of creation, 
young earth or old earth. And that's not the point of Genesis 1. God isn't kind of trying to communicate how old or young the earth is. He's communicating who created it. So it's not for God, for Genesis 1, we look at it and think, well, how can God says, no, I'm not worried about young earth or earth. It's whose earth? I, your God, Israel, I created all of this. It's not establishing a scientific order of creation. God is establishing a cosmic deity distinction. It's like I'm the God, not Baal, not Atom, not Marduk, not whoever else you who claim to worship. I'm the one that established this. And this theme becomes a major motif in the scriptures, light and dark. We see this all over the place. We talked about what darkness represents two weeks ago. But there is one more reason in Genesis 1, 3, why let there be light is there, separating itself from the day four, creating the sunlight. There's another reason that's actually the most important reason why the distinction of light on day one is there instead of day four, the sunlight. Let's go back to Genesis 1 and look at it. Beginning in verse 1, here's what he says, and I quote. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without, was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. In this opening scene, something is missing. Something is missing. But it wouldn't have been obvious to the Jews who received Genesis. The Jews that God brought out of Egypt where Moses wrote, let me explain to you, let me clarify for you, the order of creation, who created the world and how that works, not the gods that you've heard of for hundreds of years in Egypt. There's something missing, but it would not have been obvious to the Jews who were receiving this word in the wilderness. Now, the ancient Near Eastern Jew would not have had a problem with God establishing light that's not the sun. Again, they wouldn't have had scientific questions. Well, wait a minute, how can... They wouldn't have had that thought at all. They just would have said, okay, I just saw this God part the Red Sea. I'm good with light being established without it needing to be sunlight. There's one thing that they wouldn't have noticed. Let's read a couple of other verses in the creation account to see if you recognize what's missing. Genesis 1, 14 through 16. Here's what it says. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule by the day to the sun and the lesser night to rule by the night and the stars. Do you see the difference yet? Let's keep on. Genesis 1:20 and 21. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good. Okay, let's keep going. Verses 24 and 25. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Survey says? Well, let's keep going. One more. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Okay. 
There's a clear difference from day one to the rest of the days that we just read. Clear difference. Let's read day one again and see if you see it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and morning the first day. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? Here's the difference in day one. It never says God created the light. It never says he made the light. All the other days, and God created, and God made. But it never says God created or made the light. It just says, let there be light, and there was light. Take a second and proof check me, right? Open up every translation you can find. I've looked at all of them. You will not find it. An incredible translation. It never says that God created or made the light. Because God didn't create or make the light. He revealed it. Now, the Jews in Genesis, the Jews who this was written to would not have picked up on this probably. Because this is about progressive revelation. The reason why they wouldn't have picked up on this is because God waited to explain what was missing from this scene until later. We see it when we look at John chapter 1. Let's read John 1, 1 through 5. Same five verses, Genesis 1, 1 through 5. Let's look at John 1, 1 through 5. Listen to how it starts off. Same language. In the beginning. Now, if you're a Jew, you understand these words, NRK in the Greek. These don't, there's not a lot of books in the Bible that start off with in the beginning. So their minds immediately go to Genesis 1 when they hear those three words. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So he's drawing their attention back to the creation narrative of Genesis 1, but he's filling in details. He's filling in details. Let's read Genesis 1 again, and you see this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and morning. If you look at this scene, look who's missing. You have God and you have the Spirit of God. But where is the third person of the Trinity? It's just called God, just God. But how can Jesus claim to be from God? How can Jesus legitimately say, before Abraham was, I am, that I existed long before all existence and be missing from the Genesis scene when creation established itself. It's because God waited in a progressive sense. Let me tell you what you need to know now. And then when I send Jesus, then I can let you know he's also in that scene too. Jesus is intentionally missing from Genesis 1. Now, remember what the Bible is. Remember what we called it. It's a competing clarification of reality. So it's the word of God, but it's not just a man-made. It's God competing with the other narratives of other civilizations, particularly that Israel and then us would come in contact with. 
This is a clarification of reality. God is making a point. He's establishing that Jesus was there at creation and that he's the light. And the light cannot overpower the darkness. And as we saw two weeks ago, not only does God demonstrate authority over the darkness, he renames it. The interesting thing about names is that anyone here who's a parent names their child. You name your child, what that child's going to understand and relate to, and it becomes the identity of that child growing up. There may even be nicknames, like all of my sons have maybe seven or eight nicknames. Okay? None of you can call them them. Because they're names that came from their dad. Some of you don't know what they are. And if you started calling my son by a nickname that I gave him, I'm going to tell you that's my name for him. I'm sorry. You can't use that name. Now, there are names you can use, but there are names that come from just me or their family. They know that when they hear that name, that's my dad. They know that. God renames darkness tonight. (laughs) Darkness is scary and powerful. God waited until John 1 to retell the creation narrative. Now that people have seen Jesus and understand that he and the Father are one, and he's giving credence to the statements that Jesus made about before Abraham was I am. I was with the Father in the beginning. God waited and then is showing that Jesus, God, is the light and let there be light. That's where it's coming from. The sun is later. This light is intentional. Let's look at 1 John, 1 John 1 and 5. Here's what it says. This is the message we have heard from him, talking about Jesus, and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16 says this. Which he will display at the proper time, he who is blessed and only sovereign the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. We know about the transfiguration. Do you know it would have been impressive for the the disciples, for Peter, James, and John, if when they went up on that mountain and just Moses and Elijah showed up? That would have been impressive. Wow, these are like the two great prophets from our, our, our tradition, our religion, our history. Moses and Elijah. That would have been enough. Remember how Peter reacted? He said, oh, man, I'm, Jesus, I'm glad. He was just foot and mouth disease, right? Peter was nervous. Jesus, I'm, I'm glad that we're here. Let me build a couple of places for Moses. You guys are like relaxed. That would have been impressive enough. But what does Jesus do? He transfigures. He lights up. He's demonstrating, I am the light of the world. And John is telling us, I'm the light that created the world. We see in Revelation 22, verse 5. And night will be no more. They will not, they will need no light or lamp, or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign with him forever and ever. Now, I said a couple of weeks ago, because God is the Alpha and Omega, he knows all things that's going to happen, he will put things at the beginning and then show you how they wind up at the end. So he does this intentionally. There's these parallels. So you got light in the beginning, That is not the sun or the moon that comes from God. And you got light at the ending. That is not the sun or lamp or anything. It's God. This is intentional language.
So how does this compete with creation narratives that other civilizations, evil cosmic beings claim? How does this compete? It's two, two things to take note. The first, let's read John 1, 1 through 3, one more time. Here's what it says. In the beginning, this is Genesis 1 first. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. But when we get to John's narrative, John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He gets to light a little bit later. But he starts off saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's a very interesting word picture. Well, here's what John is doing. John's creation narrative actually begins before Genesis creation narrative. John's creation narrative begins before Genesis' creation narrative. Because John says in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Verse 3, all things were made through him. So John is actually taking us back to the moments before Genesis 1, 3, when God says, let there be light. Before the spirit was hovering over the darkness. Before all of that, he's bringing us back to say, in the beginning, in the beginning, the word was with God. If we, were to, if we were to do this chronologically, it would be in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. And God saw that the darkness was there and said, let there be light. And there was light. John 1 through 3 is bringing us back to before Genesis. One, he's establishing a significant reality about who Jesus is. But then there's something else that's, you wouldn't pick up on this unless you kind of knew the other creation narratives that the Bible is competing with. Why does God, why does John call Jesus the Word? Why is he the word of God? That's how he starts off. He doesn't start with the light. He gets to that point. And that light theme is developed throughout Scripture. We looked briefly at a brief understanding of how the light plays a role and how Jesus is the light. But why does John start with Jesus is the word? He doesn't start with Jesus is the light. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Why is this significant? Well, there's plenty of reasons why, but the one we're going to discuss today is that the other gods don't speak. They don't speak. When you hear their creation narratives, here's what you'll hear. They create, they have sex, they betray and destroy each other. They provide. You got goddesses of fertility and god of rain and food and procreation and all these different functions. But these gods don't speak. These gods don't say, let there be light. They just create it. They have sexual intercourse with each other but they don't do these things in real time. They don't speak creation into existence. They just create it. 
John is drawing attention to this reality, is that the God that you worship speaks. He speaks things into life. He did it back before the foundation of the world, and then he came into our world and spoke to us. This is why you hear those passages like, in the beginning, God spoke through the prophets, but then he came and spoke through his son. Why the emphasis on speaking on word is because these other gods don't speak. Now, some of you might say, well, yeah, but demons speak. But when they speak, they're almost always talking to Jesus. They're submitting to Jesus. They're saying something about Jesus. They don't speak in general. They don't give their, these, their creation narratives in, in Egypt and Assyria and all these don't have their gods speaking. They have their gods doing, but their gods don't speak. They don't have any words. Let's read Genesis, J Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. Somewhat of a long passage, but I... I want to show you there's plenty of places we could go through. And throughout this series, we're going to show you, you'll see a lot of this throughout the series. Remember, we're at tip of the iceberg. We're still in Genesis 1. <laughs> tip of the iceberg. Here's Jeremiah 10. It says, hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. <laughs> I, I, there's so many situations like if. Yeah, you won't find in any credible translation many passages where people are crying out to, they're having conversations with their God. Pharaoh may be God, and so he talks, but he's a human being. You don't see this happening. You don't see it happening. They can't speak. Wait till we get to the point where we realize that angels that are from God can appear in human form, but demons have to go in a person. It said Satan entered Judas. He didn't become a human being, but that's a different conversation. When the angels, when Gabriel showed up, he didn't enter nobody. He just showed up and spoke. But that's a different conversation. That's for later in the series. Here's Jeremiah 10. Hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them. For the customs of the peoples are vanity. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows on a cucumber field, and they cannot speak. They have to be carried, for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, nor, nor neither is it in them to do good. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your due. For among all the wise ones of the nations and in their kingdoms, there is none like you. They are both stupid and foolish. The instruction of idols is but wood. Beaten silver is brought from Tarshish. That's an important Tarshish. That's an important reality that we'll come back to in this series. This is not just a weird name. That's very important, Tarshish. And gold from Euphrates. They are the work of the craftsmen and of the hands of the goldsmith. Their, their clothing is violet and purple. They all are the work of skilled men. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. Thus, you shall say, sh thus shall you say to them, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. That means something different now, doesn't it? It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lighting for the rain and he brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Don't go around calling people stupid and saying it's biblical, y'all. I know how some of y'all are. Don't do it. Don't do it. Hey, hey he didn't, he's, God's calling him stupid. You're not supposed to say that. I know, how, I know how it is. It's in the Bible. So is walking on water, but go try that. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his images are false and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of delusion. At the time, at the time of their punishment, they shall perish. 
Now you can say, but he's talking about idols. Says, no, he's talking about the gods behind those idols. Because why would he punish idols of wood? Why would they perish? God's not punishing idols. Why would God need to compare himself to a wooden statue? That's not what he's doing. He's highlighting these wooden statues represent gods that you worship, and these gods don't speak. They can't utter words into existence. They can't say anything. They can't come into the world and teach. At best, they have to come inside one of you. The distinction of God speaking and them not speaking is intentional. So when John starts off with Jesus is the word, it's really important. Because God didn't just create, he shows a form of intelligence by speaking. Let there be light. Let the sea, let the waters do this. Let let there be vegetation. They don't have a creation narrative where God is saying all these things. They're gods. Their gods are wild. But God says, no, I speak. And when I speak, it's Jesus. This is a, remember I said this is a crazy word picture? I mean, you almost, it almost seems like that John is, I mean, when you, if you really just stop and think about what's happening right now, if Jesus is the word of God, so you imagine God as a being, right? We know he's three person, but the same essence. It doesn't mean that God is always functioning in three distinct persons separate out of one being. God is a being. It's God. You see this being, this spirit, and it's God. And within that spirit are Father, Son, and the Spirit. And this is God. And the way John is describing it. It's almost like when he says, let there be light, that's actually Jesus. That's how intrinsically connected the the Trinity is, is that they're a being that when it speaks, when God speaks, at least in create, it's Jesus. So Jesus is almost, it's almost like John is saying, Jesus is the literal words, let there be light, and then it creates. It's a little deep for us today. I don't want nobody to send me an email and be upset. (laughs) Jesus is the word is important. Why do you think God divided Babel up into languages? And then in Acts 2, brought them back together through languages. That's later. That's later. We'll talk about it later. I don't want want any emails. (laughs) Let there be light, interestingly, introduces Jesus as part of the Godhead that created the world. And the light is a personification of him. God wasn't worried about scientifically ordering, create, well, this light is not the sun, but then how can that work? It's like, no, that's not, that's not, and I'm not mocking people who have that question, but I think it's a question that's, that you have no real answer for. No one can legitimately prove anything that the earth is young or old, because we just don't know. But we know that Jesus is the light. But he's the word of God. He was the light at creation. He was there. He's the light that lights in the heart of men. The Genesis 1 light was a placeholder. It's a placeholder. You got three days of creation where the light is what God revealed. And then days four through six, once you start putting life on the earth, then he creates another light to sustain that life on the earth. So he lays a foundation. Before the foundation of the world, he lays the foundation, the first three days, and then he says, all right, now let's create a light to govern that. We'll we'll now start bringing life in, and we'll let the moon and the sun be the light that the people, that they, they see that. This motif of God separating the light in Genesis 1 was important. Because what God did at creation, he then describes as what he's doing in the recreation of us. 
And ironically, we become children of the light. Let's look at 1 John 5, 1, 5 through 7 again. 1 John 1 says this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 8, listen to what it says. For at one time you were darkness. But now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, awake, O sleeper. And it rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. When people, there are times that people call me woke, and I'm like, you're right. Ephesians 5 says, awake, oh sleeper. You're right. Woke, I'm up. I'm up. It says, walk as children of light. Why are you children of light? Because God is light, Jesus is light, and when you put your faith in him, the light shined in you. And now the things that you would have done that were darkness now actually convict you. You don't want to do the same things. And if you do, you don't feel as good about it as you did before you believed in Jesus because the light came on in you. It is what God is communicating. That let there be light is not scientific. It's specific. God is trying to establish that Jesus is light, and when you believe in him, you walk in the light. We are what? A new creation. This language is intentional. We are a new creation with a light in us that helps us to see the world differently, right? Because in the natural world, if you turn on the lights, you can see everything, right? You see things differently. You walk into a dark room. You ever been to like a haunted house? Like a, like a fake one. I'm not talking about a real one. Like a fake one on Halloween. I'm not talking about you're in there with a Ouija board and all that. I'm not talking about that. I'm not going to no house like that. I don't even go with the palm readers. I drive by and be like, deuces. I'm not going in any, none of that stuff. That stuff is real stuff. It's real evil. And if you are into that stuff here, talk to me afterwards. Well, maybe next Sunday, because if it's not raining hard, I'm going to the game. <laughs> but we're children of light. This, this motif is important because at creation, God said, let there be light. And then when we get saved, we're a new creation and the light is us. So now we're children of light. No other creation narratives say anything like this at all. None of these creation narratives, they're called light. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 3 through 6, listen to what it says. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. That's creation language. That's intentionally Genesis 1 language. The light created and now you, I, we're new creations. That's intentional language. He says, we are not of the night. Remember that? God turned darkness into night, right? We are not of the night or of the darkness. It's going back to creation, reminding us that like the world was formless and void and there was chaos and there was darkness, God says, let there be light. Now the light is in you and you are no longer night or darkness. You're too small. You're too small, other gods. 
you're too small. He says, so let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. This is progressive revelation. Progressive revelation is just a term that means that God reveals things over time. Right? So you see these things. So in Genesis 1, you see this light. Right? In John 1, you see, oh, Jesus is the light from Genesis 1. In Matthew 17, you see him light up. In Revelation 22, it says he will be the light now that lights everything. The sun and the moon from Genesis 1 won't be necessary in Revelation 22. Everyone sees the light, the S-U-N, but some of us will see the light, the S-O-N. Amen. This is what he's saying. Listen to Revelation 22 once again. Then the angel, beginning in verse 1, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will, not need, they will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign with him forever and ever. Scientifically speaking, the sun, S-U-N, is the greatest source of light and sustenance that we have. Supernaturally speaking, the sun, S-O-N, is the greatest source of light and sustenance. And his light is in us. And so all that creation language becomes about us. We're the new creation. We're the children of the light. So we try to walk in that reality. So why should we care about this? One, other gods, they never at a point in time show themselves to be real deities. They're all sort of in the subconscious, philosophical reality. You can't find these gods. You can't find them. The people worshiped them and thought things were happening because of them, but they can't find them. When we get to Exodus, there's a reason why God was a pillar of fire at night and a cloud during the day. He, he said, oh, that's that's your God. Israel, where are your gods? Egypt, where are your gods? Show themselves. Where are your gods? When Elijah was on Mount Carmel, they was like, all right, let's go ahead and pour water all over this animal. Go ahead, call down your God to bring fire. And they were calling out. Dudes were cutting themselves, all types of stuff. And Elijah was chilling. They were picking his teeth. Oh. If he'd have had an iPhone, he'd have been like, man, let me see what's going on. Let me see. Let me go ahead and send a tweet. Y'all check this out. Let me upload a video of this. Look at these dudes. <laughs> Camera button switch. Hey, watch this. Camera button switch back. Look at this. Landscape mode. Let's turn on this one. He was chilling. He was chilling. And then after they couldn't, their guys didn't do anything, then he said, hey, pour so much water on this thing that it's so wet that the, that the actual whole area flooded with bloody water because they poured so much water on it. Then he calls out to the God of Israel, fire, zoom, comes down and it says that he, it says that he licked it and it was gone. It was dry as a bone. These gods are ideas that are not real. But you serve a real God who came in real time. Why do you think the Bible says in the year of this person and in this person's reign? You know why? So that we can go back and check. 
None of those gods say in this time, in this person, in this, it's all this weird world that you're supposed to just believe exists. But God said, no, I'm going to be specific. I'm going to name people in human history so you can go back and check. Yep, that's true. He reigned in. This was it. What? That was it. Jesus was there. This is what happened. He was, so it must have been around this time and all of that because he's real. The other gods, the other ideas, now these aren't just our gods. They didn't stop existing back in the ancient Near East. They exist right now. But for us, they exist differently, which is the second reason why we should care. Because we're children of the light. But by our actions, by our thoughts, by our attitudes, we can dim the light that's in us. And over the last couple of years, sadly, I've seen many Christians dim the light, dim the light that's in them. And all of a sudden now, God, they need to, God needs to submit to their desires, their fears, their anxieties. God will never do that. You'll walk away from God before he does all these things to prove himself to you because he's already done it. I know people who are strong believers that now not sure if they need to believe in God anymore, need to go to church anymore, need to serve in the church anymore. Everything's a problem. Every time you get challenged, you get mad at the person challenging you. I'm grown, I'll take the hit, but I'm going to challenge because there's a light in everyone who believes and some of us are letting it get dim and we don't care. Listen, everyone has a conviction not to go to hell. Everyone has that conviction. But I know plenty of believers who don't have a conviction to go to heaven. You can't live to just do, do enough to think to not go to hell. No, our conviction is we're living to go to heaven. We're trying to, and there's complications, of course. We all have weaknesses. Yours truly. But the light is in you. So the question is, what is the light shining on in you? Is the light shining on you that everything needs to make you feel comfortable or safe or stuff before you, before you act like you believe in the Lord? I'm talking to my church right now. I'm not talking about the evangelical church. My mom stood on the stage and told you I've been fearless from the beginning. I'm not trying to offend you, but I'm going to be honest. Some of you are dimming your light. I'm sorry if you struggle with certain things. We all do. And the Lord sovereignly is allowing that struggle to exist, not so that you can submit to it, so that God has to do things to or take it away so that you can learn how to live as children of the light, despite some of the darkness that's creeping in your life. But some of us have let the darkness become more dominant than the light that now even coming to church is like you doing somebody a favor. You're not doing me a favor or Mike a favor, or anybody a favor. God is doing you a favor by bringing you to church. We're going to spend eternity with him. You can't wait till you get there to start doing it. And there are many of us that our light is just dimming. It's dimming. This is a serious reality. Some of, you know, what's, you know what's interesting? I'm going to close with this. This is, uh, this is how the enemy works. This is so ironic. I feel like the Lord gave me this this morning. <clears throat> this is how interesting it is. This is how the enemy works. He'll take this idea, put it in like popular slang, and it'll just go unnoticed. Right? It'll go unnoticed. Just like there are Christmas carols that are singing the truths of God that atheists sing all the time and not knowing that you're actually singing the truth. So when you stand before God, you have no excuse because this was your favorite song. This was your favorite Christmas carol. And the whole thing talked about the Trinity and who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And you sang it and hummed it every time you was buying gifts, but you refused to believe it. Your favorite Christmas carol may condemn you. But you know what else the enemy does? The Lord, the enemy does little things and uses phraseology that we adopt and don't realize that it's actually speaking to the reality of the biblical narrative. Isn't it funny that we use words like I ain't trying to throw no shade. Yeah. Right. 
No shade on nobody. That's, that's funny that it's no shade because that's exactly what the light does. Amen. The darkness is trying to put shade on people. And the light says no shade. And so when people say they're throwing no shade, we should connect with, oh, that's right. Why would you throw shade? Because there's darkness. There's light. The enemy is using these common colloquialisms and we just say them and use them and don't even realize that that's speaking to our eternal reality. There is no shade in us. So we don't throw shade, but the way that the enemy is using it, he's making it a common colloquialism, a piece of slang that actually has significant biblical truth wrapped up in it. There is no shade. We're not throwing shade. Why? Because we're children of light. We're not trying to cause any shade. We're trying to expose, show things for what they are. So Genesis 1, let there be light. God is establishing that Jesus is the light and that he's using that narrative to help us understand that 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 happened in Genesis 1, God did in us. It's why he calls us new creations. There's no darkness in you or night. We have to learn how to believe that and then live in light of that. And stop making excuses for how difficult it is. Because Paul also said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth being compared to the glory that will be soon revealed to us. Jesus comes, dies on the cross, punished brutally, rises from the dead. The light hanging on the cross had darkness over him for three hours. Rises from the dead. And when they walk into the tomb, what do they see? Light, an angel glowed up. They see an angel sitting on a, the stone, glowed up. The Roman soldiers just, they was weak in the knees, fell over like I can't. They ain't know what to do. Right? This is a reality. Now, we don't always feel like the light's in us. We don't always believe it, but that's part of the Christian life. It's by faith. It's not by feelings. Feelings are sight. Now, I'm not saying we don't, we're anti-feelings. Of course not. God made us to have feelings. But we submit our feelings to the truth. And just because you don't feel like this doesn't mean it's true. What is the light shining on in you? Take seriously your responsibilities. And for the grace of God, stop making everything optional. Because in all seriousness, God could make eternity optional for you. And we've seen enough people, we've all seen enough people Walk away because fill in the blank. And I think God will say, you dim the light in you. You dim the light in you. My job is to help reignite the light. And if you get offended, get offended to the glory of God, I'll take it. But I would rather have you be offended at something I said than God be offended at something you did. This is real, brothers and sisters. Take seriously your responsibility because God took seriously his son's sacrifice. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy towards us. We all have darkness in us. We know that the spirit moved in, but Adam didn't move out. So we all have within us the desire to do things, to have attitudes, thoughts, and actions. We do it. They go against you. And sometimes those, that darkness seems more darker than the light that's in us. But Lord, I pray for any who are listening here in the room or online or even after this day, that they would take to heart the significance 
of Jesus being the light that created the world. And then the light that's in us, that recreated us, that makes us a new creation. Help us, Lord, to fight against the, uh, the competing other gods of our culture, the gods of ideas, the gods of comfort, the gods of safety, the gods of complaining, the gods of sinful judgment, the gods of self-righteousness, the gods of I'll do it later. Lord, help us fight against those competing narratives. For we may not worship a formalized religion and a deity in that sense, but the ideas that compete with what you say are all around us. And sometimes, all of us, yours included, as you well know, sometimes we act in light of those voices instead of the competing narrative of your word. So help us, Lord, to have a conviction to live for heaven and not just not go to hell. For your glory and our good. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, right now, we do not have any questions. Hey, Amen. The game's um, today. So it is today. I'm out offended. Um, so I'll give, the, I'll give a chance for questions to come by. Just yeah, like one minute. <laughs> one minute. <laughs> <If you're, laughs> <by> your fingers <laughs> ain't typing. We gone. By just announcing that. Um, Don't be that, mad at me. I have plenty of time to send them in. That um, you guys won't see me for a few weeks because my sabbatical starts this week. Yeah. So um, that's the only reason why. I'm not going anywhere, but you can be praying for me. Yep, Mike will be gone, and you will have no church here when we get back. <laughs> so if Mike is gone, things fall apart. We about so. to fast and pray. No, I'm just kidding. All right, no, uh, no question came in. So Praise God. Hallelujah. I'm going to the game with him, so, you know. I was, <laughs> Look, you can send him privately. <laughs> you can send him privately. I'm not mad at you. Neither was Tupac. All right. Well, now that I'm starting, if something comes in, they can send it to me privately, man. I'm not, you know, we're going to do what we do. You know, one of the things about preaching, there's sort of these sort of preaching sort of tropes that you must preach the gospel every sermon. You must do all these things, and, and those things can, can be, I, the Bible doesn't necessarily say that, but people in, anticipate that. One of the things I love about doing communion at the end of every sermon is if, in the flow of preaching or in the flow of the moment, we forget to bring the reality and the sobriety of Jesus dying on the cross. The main thing is what many people call it. If we forget to include that in the teaching portion, then we get to be reminded in the closing each Sunday. Is that the reason why we're here, the reason why we read, the reason why we sing, the reason why we do any of this stuff is because of Jesus. It's because the light that created the world came into the world and then put his light in us and told us to now be a light in the world. The way he lit the world in Genesis 1, we light the world by faith in him. And so we get to each week take this little wafer that in and of itself means nothing. But when it reminds us that Jesus' body was broken by coming into the world, being brutally beaten, blood gushing from his body so that you and I could be a light, to have the light in us. This means everything. So we eat this in light of the truth of Jesus. And this cup represents his blood. For those who believe in Jesus, we drink this, remember what he's done for us. Let's drink together. Father, again, we thank you. I pray, Lord, that all the different phrases and different ways that you've kind of created me to communicate I pray that whatever is true about what was said this morning would impact those who belong to you. And I pray that, that those who don't belong to you would give real thought, Lord. Today, they can accept, they can believe in you. 
They can pray a prayer just to, just to you. They can come talk to us. Or they can ask you for forgiveness and ask you to become a part of the family that you've established. Lord, I pray that there are people in this room whose light is dim, that you would turn up, that there would be no shade on that light. For sometimes, Lord, we throw shade on the light within us. But I pray that you would, you would use the truth of this message or whatever else, or however you want to reach them, Lord. It doesn't have to be me. You don't need me at all to reach anyone but you use all of us for your glory, for you've invested your light in us. So Lord, I pray for those of us whose light is dim, who find it difficult, Lord. May they have the humility to reach out and ask for help. For we've all, we've all walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And we need each other. So Lord, may that be true of us. But may, as we're going through this series, this supernatural storyline of the Bible, may we find more confidence in your word as we see how beautifully you put this thing together. It is amazing. Lord, I pray that this series would help the light in us see new things and that we would have an endless fascination with you and your word. For your glory and our good. In your name we pray. Amen.